We are in Luke chapter 4, if you want to open your Bibles there, and we'll get right to work. You know, last Sunday, uh, Brenda and I, after church, we had to go down to Torrance, so we jumped on the freeway, and we're on our way down there, and uh, we all of a sudden became just surrounded by a motorcycle club, and you know, lots of motorcycle clubs, they're just way cool. They're the safest drivers on the road, and everything's good. This wasn't that club. These guys were absolutely insane. They're driving 90 miles an hour. They're weaving in and out of traffic. Um, and uh, one guy's, you know, doing the Superman on his bike. Another guy's standing up on the seat, all of this stuff. And what came to my mind was, you know, that saying about motorcycle riders. There's two type of riders, those that have been down and those that are going down. And, uh, and I'm like, they're at the front of the line, man, you know. But, uh, but as we come now to Luke chapter 4, you know, the big idea of this section of Scripture is temptation, dealing with temptation. And just as there's two types of motorcycle riders, there's two types of people in the world. There are those who have been tempted and those who will be tempted, right? And temptation, it's universal. And, and really, the, the question comes down to, how do we handle temptation? How do we resist temptation? How do we overcome and have victory in our life when it's, this world is filled with all of them te- the temptations that are in it? That's what we're going to be looking at today. So Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, we read, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into Uh, The wilderness, Jesus having been baptized at the Jordan River, we looked at that last week, and so here now um, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness, verse 2, being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, uh, when they had ended, he was hungry. First point, if you're taking notes, Captain Obvious here, everyone faces temptation. Everyone faces temptation. Paul told the Corinthians that temptation is common to mankind. And here we see that it even includes the Son of Man, Jesus Christ himself. That Jesus Christ himself was tempted. And if you were with us last week, what we saw there in Jesus' genealogy, we saw that Jesus' genealogy, Jesus the man, he was fully God, but he was also fully man, and his, his genealogy traces back all the way to, to, uh, to Adam. Takes all the way back to Adam. And in that way, hey, listen, our DNA ultimately traces all the way back to Adam as well. And so we share the same DNA as Jesus, or, or I guess for better emphasis, Jesus shares the same DNA with us. Yes, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. And as a man... Hey, that makes him uniquely qualified to identify with with your needs and with your problems because he, Jesus, the Son of God, was just like us in his humanity. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, the word, this word temptation here that's used, this tempted, the idea of temptation, biblically speaking, it's used in three different ways throughout the Bible. Um, when, when we ourselves tempt God, when we put God to the test wrongly in different areas, uh, the Bible talks about that. 
Another way is when God tests us. I said test, I didn't say tempt, because God doesn't tempt us. Certainly he doesn't tempt us towards wickedness or darkness. That's not who God is, but he does put us to the test, and it's kind of the same you know, general idea. But the third way that the, the Bible speaks of temptation, and which is the case here, is when Satan solicits or entices us to evil. When he solicits or entices us to evil. You know, when you guys were coming into church today, you drove by the lake there. And, uh, and now, there's no fishing signs that are posted on the lake. But back in the day, not, not in the too distant past, you could go fishing there. And I actually brought my grandson, Jude, to fish in that lake. We had bought him a fishing pole, Brenda and I, for his birthday. And he'd never been fishing and, and really desperately wanting to go, very excited about it. And, uh, and so I, I took Jude fishing. I think, I think he was four years old at the time. I don't know. I can't, how old is Jude? You know, he's five, so he's four. Okay, so four or five, whatever. So I just took him. And, um, and so he's all excited. He can't wait. It's just a little tiny fishing pole, man. He just wants to get that, that thing in the water. I'm like, hold up, dude. We got to put a worm on the hook. And, and so Jude's like, well, you know, why do we got to put a, a, a worm on it? And I said, to hide the real deal, buddy. Because <laughs> the fish thinks it's all about the worm. But we know that the real deal is the hook, right? And, and so the Bible says that that's Satan's motive, that, that he, he gets us to the place where we think it's all about the worm, but, it, but really he's all about the hook. Uh, James 1 verse 14 says this, that temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. And that word entice literally means to catch by bait. Just as Jude used the, the worm and baited uh, the, the hook so that he could hook a fish, and he did, by the way, two-pound bass. It was awesome. Got, got it on video, the whole thing. Little tiny fishing pole with a two-pound bass. It was a great fight, and, and it was awesome. But just as he used the worm to hook that bass, in the exact same way Satan wants to hook you. He wants to hook me. Now, I want you to take note that the text emphasizes that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit when he was tempted. He was filled with the Holy Spirit when he was tempted. Now, a lot of times, you and I, when we're tempted, that we get to the place to where we think, oh gosh, I'm guilty of sin because I was tempted. No, Jesus here, the Son of God, He's tempted. It's not sinful to be tempted. It's what you do with the temptation that determines whether or not it's sin. If, if you're down at the grocery store and a beautiful woman walks by and you notice that there is a beautiful woman that just walked by, that's not sin. Now, if you start gawking at that beautiful woman, or if you start strategically going down every aisle that she's down, and your mind is racing in places that you should... Well, now you've crossed the threshold. Now you took this, this temptation and you took action on it. So just being tempted is, is not sin in and of itself. It's what you do with it. Martin Luther said this. He said, you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. 
And so, so that's the idea there. Now, uh, verse 3, we continue. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to be turned to bread. Now, when Satan says if, he's not questioning that Jesus is the Son of God. He knows Jesus is the Son of God. No, what he's saying is, hey, since you're the Son of God, then, then you should command this stone to be turned into bread. And his, his point, his motivation here, what he's asking Jesus to do, is, is he's saying, hey, you should satisfy your flesh with the power that you have. You should give your power to satisfying your flesh, your desire. And, and that's the root of, of all temptation that we, flay, that we face, you and me. The, the root of all temptation is to satisfy our flesh, not to satisfy God, not to satisfy His will. And so what Satan will do, because he's a counterfeiter, is that he presents to us a lie. And he says, look, at, look what, what you want, you don't have to wait for it. You don't have to do it God's way. You can get it right now. I'm the best Burger King that's ever existed. You can have it your way all day long, you know. And so that's what Satan does. This is the lie that, that, that he perpetuates. And so he's trying to get Jesus to use his power to satisfy his flesh. And listen, like I said, this goes all the way back, this, this root issue of temptation, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Trace it all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. It tells us there that God created the earth and then the plants and the animals. And that when he created man, he made him out of the dust of the earth. But unlike all of the rest of the creation, God breathed life into Adam. In other words, Adam was both flesh and spirit. You and I, as human beings, we are both flesh and spirit. And in the beginning, what God did is he set Adam and Eve in the garden. And basically what he did was put limitations on their flesh. He said, your flesh and your spirit, you're going to glorify me in your spirit by denying your flesh. There's one tree that you can't partake of. I'm going to require you to deny your flesh in this area. Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may eat freely eat, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. What God did in the garden was that he gave Adam and Eve a choice. He says, look, you can operate according to the Spirit, and you can honor me, and you can obey me, or you can, you you know, operate according to the lust of your flesh, and, and whichever one you want, you can operate according to the Spirit, deny your flesh, honor me, or operate according to the lust of your flesh, give yourself over to that, and, and, and completely deny me in that process. And he says, if you do the one, you live. If you do the other, you die. Moses said the same thing, by the way, to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He said this, he said, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. And you guys know the story. Adam blew it. Adam and Eve chose to yield to the lust of their flesh. 
They ate the forbidden fruit, and then sin entered into the gene pool, into them, and into all of their offspring, all their descendants from then on out. And so then the battle between the flesh and the spirit has been going on ever since. And so you've got these three elements in God's original creation. You've got the animals, you've got the vegetation, and you've got humans. And, and in God's creation, in God's design before the fall, hey, the man was supposed to rule over the animals and vegetation. But since man fell, that order was inverted. And now the order that we, that we live under is that man in his flesh is ruled by the animal, the serpent, and ruled by the vegetation, the appetites that, that man has. And so Jesus here, being filled with the Spirit, he's led into the wilderness, and there he's tempted. And let me just say this, that, that God has a reason and a purpose for leading Jesus into the wilderness and allowing him to be tempted. He, God has a reason and a purpose for Jesus going into the wilderness. And some of you today, maybe, are in the wilderness. You're having a wilderness journey. You're having a wilderness experience in your faith. We've all been there. And, and you're going through a wilderness experience, and you may be wondering, God, why are you doing this to me? What have I done wrong? Or, you know, do you love me? Do you still care? Why have you forsaken me kind of thing? Maybe you're in the wilderness. And, and what I would say to you is, listen, Trust that God has a purpose in where you're at today. Trust that he's at work and that he's working through your situation and your circumstances. Listen to this. Paul said to the Corinthians, though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things which we see now will soon be gone But the things that we cannot see will last forever. In other words, what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is he's saying, look, life is short and and your flesh is not going to last. And and what he wants us to understand is that our renewal comes not by the things that are temporary. Your renewal does not come from the worm on the hook. Your renewal comes from the things that are eternal. This is what it's always been about. This is, this is what was at stake in the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Look, you've got to deny your flesh for the sake of obeying me. This is, this is an eternal perspective that we're talking about here. But no, if you're going to live according to the lust of your flesh and you're going to exercise that appetite to partake of what you shouldn't, well, then you're going to die. Takes eternity off the table. You, you just decided that the temporary was going to satisfy an eternal need that you have, and it doesn't work that way. In my life, I've discovered that a lot of times I might not understand what God is doing in the present, but in the benefit of the rearview mirror, I can see, oh, God had a purpose in that. And what we see here with Jesus being led into the wilderness and God allowing him to be tempted, there are several purposes that we can identify. One of those purposes that we can identify, God allowing this to transpire, was for Jesus to identify with sinful men. That Jesus would experience all of the same temptations that you and I experienced, just as Hebrews said. He was in all points tempted as we are. So you you and I, we can never say... Well, God, you really don't understand what I, was, what I was going through. 
he'll, he'll say, actually, I do. I face the exact same temptations as you. Uh, and, and so we need to understand that for him to operate as our great high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses, he in fact had to experience our weaknesses. And so that's one of the purposes for which God has allowed this. But, but, but I think one of the, the, the bigger issues of, of understanding why God allowed this, and, and certainly what will be the, the context of the rest of our message today, lies in this fact that when Jesus goes through this temptation, what he does for us is he sets for you and me an example of how we are supposed to both prepare for temptation and how we're to respond to temptation. There's a lot to learn here. And, and it's important to understand how he did it because it gives us hope that if he overcome the temptation as a man, you and I can also overcome it. See, so often we think about Jesus and even him facing temptation and we go, well, yeah, he didn't yield to the temptation. He's God. So, so when Satan offers him, as we're going to see, offers him all the kingdoms of the, of the earth... Well, God goes, I created everything. Like, why, why would that be a temptation to me? It's not about that. See, Jesus, when he was tempted, he was tempted as the Son of God, as, 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 or as, as mankind. He's fully God, but he's also fully human. And so when Jesus was tempted as a man, he had to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit just in the exact same way that you and I, when we're tempted, we have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, <clears throat> and Jesus didn't just withstand any old temptation. He was tempted by Satan himself. A lot of times you and I will go through temptation and we'll be like, oh, the, 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 the devil made me do it kind of thing. I doubt that very seriously. We'll ascribe the attributes of God to Satan regularly uh, and just sort of absentmindedly. Like we... God's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. And so, well, oh yeah, Satan tempted me. No, he's got bigger fish to fry than you. You know, he's, he's, he's tempting heads of state. Like he's working on some really strategic, you know, high-value high targets. We're not a high-value target as far as the whole world is concerned, probably, I venture to say. But the Bible says when, when Satan fell, a third of the angels fell with him. So there is the demonic realm at work. As a matter of fact, there's an unholy trinity at work in the earth right now that leads us to temptation and tries to get us to sin. Uh, your flesh is involved in it. The world system tempts you. And the demonic realm tempts you. And so there's a lot of different areas where we are tempted. But Jesus was tempted by Satan himself, the big guns. And as man was able to withstand that temptation. And so there's a huge lesson for us here that if we will take note of how Jesus resisted that temptation in his humanity, well, we might want to follow what he did if we want to resist temptation ourselves. And that brings us to the second point. Everyone can overcome temptation. Everyone can overcome temptation. There's, there, there's no sin, the Bible says, that has overtaken you except for that which is common to man, but God is faithful. He will give you a way of escape. And so everyone can come over, can overcome temptation. And notice again there in verse 3, Satan says, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to be turned into bread. What he's saying, hey, since you're God, use your power to satisfy your appetite. 
And boy, let me tell you, Jesus' appetite at this point was off the charts. Here's why. Luke, the physician, makes a point of saying he'd been fasting for 40 days. Now, biologically, your body's designed to have an appetite. You know this if you, if you skip a meal. Your stomach will tell you that you've skipped a meal. And, and when you extend that period of time, your body gets a little bit more insistent to tell you that it has this appetite and that you need to get to work to meet this, this appetite. But something interesting happens if you deny it for long enough. If you deny, you know, the food for several days, your hunger actually will go away at a certain point. And you'll go for a long time. Now, let's, let's take the 40-day span. What will happen then over that 40-day span, predominantly your, your appetite's been taken away, but every once in a while it comes back. And then you deny it and it just goes away again. But when you get to the 40-day mark, all the alarms and bells start going off. Your entire body says at that point, feed me right now. And it is the most intense hunger that you could possibly imagine. And, and what happens if you deny the hunger at that point well, then you pass the point of no return and, and you die. And nobody's, nobody's getting you back after that. So Jesus is at that place and Luke the physician notes, he's at the 40-day mark, he's hungry. His body's screaming out. Biologically, it is, it is go time. And so Jesus here has great temptation and he also has great opportunity. He's got great, great temptation, and he's got great opportunity <coughs> to respond to and satisfy that temptation by yielding to it. And this is an important part of temptation for us to take note of. Opportunity and means. Opportunity and means. See, because Satan says here, he goes, look, you're the son of God. And you have the means to put an end to that intense hunger right now. You could, you could settle it. And in the same way he operates in your life, in the same way he operates in my life, where he shows up and he says, hey, nobody's home. Click on that link. You've got opportunity and you've got means. No problem. Hey, you're, you're on a business trip. You, you got nobody to, to be able to know who you are in this town or what you're doing. You can do whatever you want, opportunity and means. You're, you're on your way home, you know, from, from work. <clears throat> you can swing through the liquor store and you can pick up some vodka because that, you know, really doesn't show up on your breath that much. And, and you, can, you can get, you know, you can get your buzz on on your way home. Nobody know the wiser, man. Listen, what I want you to remember, and you know this, is that means and opportunity is always going to be there. You're always going to have means and opportunity to lie, to cheat, to steal, to gossip, to explode in anger. The means and the opportunity is going to be there. And the enemy is just waiting for you to be at your weakest point. Jesus here at the 40-day mark, and, and the enemy shows up then when he's at his weakest point. Point. It's not like, you know, Satan goes, oh, Jesus is hungry. I'll wait until he had something to eat, until I tempt him. No, he's waiting for you to be in that place, right? I mean, think about this. You've got days, moms, when your kids 
are like you're about to lose your salvation with your kids. Like if it were that possible, like you're just, they are pushing buttons you didn't even know existed. And then you get the bright idea that you're going to take them to the grocery store. Like what were you thinking? And there you are at the grocery store and, and now the enemy looks on and he says, check her out, man. The kids have got her in the corner. She's, she's about to go down and she hasn't been in the word in three days. And next thing you know, mom, you become Kanye West, you know? You're Rosie O'Donnell at a Trump campaign. Like you just, boom, you know? And there you are, you're, you know, you're all Shia LaBeouf right in the, in the, the pet food aisle. Just, you become that mom, right? And, and the enemy is just waiting for this to happen. So the key thing for us to see here, we know it, we live this. And so what, what it is, is we've got to prepare before the temptation comes, okay? And so this is the first thing for us to see here is what Jesus does before the appetite of the flesh kicks in, right? Three things that Jesus did before temptation struck. If you're taking notes, write them down. Number one, Luke 3.21, Jesus prayed. Before the temptation, Jesus prayed. Luke 4.1, number two, Jesus was filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. And point number three, Luke 4.2, Jesus fasted. And so he prayed, he was filled with and led by the Holy Spirit, and he fasted all of this before the temptation came. Now, if you were with us recently, we went through our value series as a church, we, we studied the things that we value as a church, and of course, prayer was one of our values that we covered, as was the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so, I don't have the time to, to really dig into those as I should, so just make, make it a note that, look, you have to prepare in advance to face temptation. Understand that part of that preparation is your prayer life. Part of that preparation is being filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. And I would encourage you, you know, go to... Go to our website, click on those links, listen to those messages. As well, in the What We Believe section, there's, there's uh, you know, I've written papers on these things and you can read that as well. But having said that, let's dial into fasting because we don't spend a lot of time talking about fasting. So, so we're talking about what you do to prepare for temptation, prayer, being filled with and led by the Holy Spirit, and this idea of fasting. Now, what is fasting? Let me start with what it's not. Fasting is, is, is not a detox, okay? Fasting is not dieting. It's not where you make up for your cheat day, you know, the day before. Oh, I ate so much yesterday, I just should not eat anything all day. Now, you can do that, but it's, but it's not a biblical fast. It's not a fast in the biblical sense. <clears throat> what is a fast in the biblical sense? Let me put it on the screen for you. Fasting is starving your flesh for the purpose of feeding your spirit. That's what fasting is, biblically. It's starving your flesh for the purpose of feeding your spirit. And Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Here's what he said. Moreover, Jesus says, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you 
openly. See, here's the deal. Understand, fasting is a common practice throughout the Bible. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. And the Jews, they practiced fasting twice a week. They fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. And for them, it began as this spiritual thing. It was a denying of the flesh for the purpose of feeding the spirit. It began in a spiritual way, but it quickly became religion. And so now when they did it, they did it to, to you know, have this outward religious appearance. They did it puffed up in pride. They, they acted in a way that really wasn't God-glorifying, not God-honoring, and not a building up of the spirit. It was really a glorifying of their flesh, ironically. And Jesus talked about this in Luke's gospel, in Luke 18, you know, when he gives a parable, earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He's talking about these two guys that go up to pray, and one guy goes up with a real humble and contrite heart. He's like, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I don't even deserve to be here and, and all. And then this other guy, religious leader, goes up, and, and he's all proud and puffed up, and he starts his prayer off saying, I thank you that I'm not like this guy, God. And he goes on to say, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I possess. And Jesus goes on basically to say, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. No, what Jesus now says, though, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, is, he, he, is he's validating fasting. He's, he's not saying, hey, don't, don't be that guy and don't fast and don't do those religious things. He's saying, don't do those things for religious purposes, but, hey, you should fast. He says, when you fast. In fact, it's so important, he says it twice. When you fast. And again, the implication is, is that we should be fasting as Christians. And let me just make it clear right here. I'm not talking about an earning a, a right standing with God. We're not talking about salvation. There's nothing that you can do to be saved and to be right in the sight of God. God has done that work in the person of Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins in your place. And so we're not talking about that. What we're talking about is a life of sanctification. Sanctification means to be set apart. And so when we choose that we want to be set apart to God, then what that requires is a denial of the flesh and a feeding of the Spirit. And part of that process, Jesus says, is fasting. It's a spiritual discipline. And so... This is the implication. We should starve our flesh for the purpose of feeding our spirit. And I want you to think about it. What is the most obvious appetite of your flesh? Food. Water. It's not, it's not sex. It's not, you know, desire for revenge or, or anger or any of those things. Those are strong desires that our flesh has. But the, but the most obvious appetite of our flesh is food and water. And if we practice the regular discipline of denying that physical hunger, which, by the way, the early church did. They fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays. Now, if we do that as a spiritual dis discipline, what it serves at, it's a visceral practice that informs our ability to recognize and deny other fleshly appetites. Let me say that a different way. Once you learn to deny physical hunger as a spiritual discipline for the, for the purpose of feeding your spirit, denying your flesh, not only are you better, better prepared to face temptation in the future, but you also learn the discipline of denying other appetites 
of the flesh that you might be experiencing right now. And so this is an important physical discipline. This is what Paul was talking about, talking about this whole concept of denial of the flesh for the sake of living spiritually and feeding your body spiritually. He said this to the Corinthians, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now let me go out on a limb here and simply say that probably most of us don't fast. We probably don't do this as a regular part of our spiritual life. And, and if you have fasted in the past, um, praise the Lord. Um, I know many of us have fasted from time to time. But, but I, I think maybe we as a church should take this a little bit more seriously. We should take it a little bit more seriously. Because listen, the Bible makes it a point... <clears throat> to say that, that Jesus' overcoming temptation was preceded by prayer. It was preceded by the filling of the Holy Spirit, and it was preceded by fasting. These were all spiritual disciplines that strengthened him in the, in the Spirit to resist temptation. Now, here's a point of application for you. Is there an area in your life where where you're struggling with a temptation, something that you frequently yield to, and you're like, you know, I want to get a handle on this. <clears throat> and you think, gosh, I've, I've prayed about this, and, and you know, I've read the Word, and I've asked the Lord to, to, get, to strengthen me with His Holy Spirit, <clears throat> and you're still struggling with this area. Well, have you tried fasting? Have you added fasting into the spiritual discipline to overcome that temptation? Something to think about. Something to think about. I think that we as a church should, should consider incorporating fasting into our regular practice. Now, we're talking about preparation for temptation. What do we do to prepare our hearts? What do we do to prepare our minds? What do we do to prepare ourselves ahead of time for salvation? Jesus prayed, filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, and he fasted. Now, what does he do in response to the temptation? Let's see that next. We'll pick it up in context, verse 3. <clears throat> and the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, <clears throat> showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I'll give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, which is always his objection, he always wants to be worshipped like God, that's the cause of his rebellion. So if you'll worship before me, I'll give you all this stuff, it'll all be yours. And Jesus answered and he said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then he brought him, up, brought him to Jerusalem. He set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands... They shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against 
a stone. And Jesus, by the way, Satan twisting scripture here, which is what he always does. He twists the word of God. He's twisting it here. And Jesus answered and he said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. John said this. He said that there's three categories of sin in the world. There is the lust of the flesh, there is the lust of the eyes, and there is the pride of life. And we see all three of those categories reflected here. We see the lust of the flesh. Hey, turn this stone into bread. We see the lust of the eyes. Hey, check out all the kingdoms. I'll give them all to you. And we see the pride of life. He's like, hey, you're God. Throw yourself off the, the, the temple. God will rescue you. I mean, check me out, guys. Watch this one. I, I'm superhuman. I can jump off. And so you've got this pride of life. And, and so Satan is tempting in these areas. And again, what's Jesus doing here? He's giving you and me a, a, an example to follow in how we can resist temptation. And how did, how did Jesus resist every temptation here? Scripture, the Word of God. He resisted the temptation. He actively resisted temptation in the moment with the Word of God. You may recall Jesus in John's Gospel. He's praying. He's in the garden. It's, it's uh, before He's going to go to the cross. And there as He's praying, and He's praying, you know, the, the, He's included there His high priestly prayer where He prays for us that we would be unified and in unity. I pray that they would be one even as you and I are one. And He says to, to the Father, Sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth. Sanctify, set us apart, set us apart from the world, set us apart from the world system, set us apart from the lust of the flesh, set us apart from the lust of the eyes, set us apart from the pride of life, set us apart from all of these temptations through your word, God. See, Satan feeds us, he tells us lies, and every lie, every temptation is that worm on the hook. And we think it's about the worm. He knows it's about the hook. And this is the way he operates. And God's word is that lie detector. When Satan comes to us and says, you don't have to wait. You can have it your way and you can have it right now. Think about with Jesus here. He he offers them. He goes, hey, check out all the kingdoms. You can have them all. They're all yours. Well, God created everything, right? And Satan was speaking the truth. He does right now. Rule the world. But a time is coming, and if you were with us when we went through the book of Revelation, you saw this, that Jesus is going to take back the title deed of the earth, and he's going to evict Satan. He's going to kick him out. Now, that time is coming. It's not yet. What had to happen before that happens? Jesus had to die. He had to go to the cross. And so what Satan is saying to Jesus here is the same lie that he says to you and me. He goes, hey, you can take a shortcut. That whole cross thing, you can just, you can just move that entirely. You, you can have the title deed right now if you'll worship me. Always, you always got to read the fine print because in the fine print you find the hook. That's the deal. And then what, what helps us with that lie detector because, because the world throws those lies at us all the time, it's God's word hidden in our heart. It's that lie detector. The psalmist said this, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. We had, <clears throat> last week, we went to the Awana Awards night. Awana Awards night. Uh, our grandson was getting an award. Brenda and I wanted to, to be there. And so we're there. And, uh, and this one little gal gets an award for memorizing 150 scripture verses. I mean, do you know 150 verses by heart? She's seven. Seven years old, right? Our Awana is, ministry is, is just, thank you, Jesus. They're knocking it out of the park. These kids hiding God's word in their heart. And see, and here's how that's going to serve her. That this world, the enemy, her sinful flesh even, will lie to her as she's growing up and say, hey, this is the way that you should walk in it. And the Word of God, which the Holy Spirit will then activate, will be called to her mind and she will say, no, no, that's not north, that's the true north. And I need to walk according to this. Now here's how this works. Isaiah 55, God says this, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. Now here's, here's the significance of that. In the natural, what this is saying is that God sends rain, He sends snow, comes down to the earth, it feeds plants, plants now being watered, they grow up, right? In the natural, that's how it works. What God says, likening his word to water, he says what happens when his word waters us, then what it hits, he says, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. So what he says, you know, in the natural, you, you, you water the thorn bush, you water the, the briar patch, and they just get bigger. That's what happens in the natural. By the way, they're symbolic of sin, thorns, briars. But he says, you water those things with my word, and they will fundamentally transform. And then what happens then is, you know, watering the thorn bush doesn't grow a bigger thorn bush. It grows up the cypress tree. Grows up the myrtle tree. Fundamentally transforms who you are on the inside. And as God transforms you, what happens is he tempers and he strengthens you. And now when you face temptation actively, hey, you're better equipped to respond to it. Paul told Timothy this in closing. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. In other words, for what's right. It's profitable for reproof, what's wrong. It's profitable for correction, how to get right. And it's profitable for instruction in righteousness, how to stay right. God's word does this. Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Three questions as we close. I encourage you to write them down. First question, how prepared are you to face temptation? What have you done to prepare to face temptation? You know, we live in earthquake country. Science has been saying since I was in kindergarten, the big one's coming. 
And how many of us have like three hours of food in our pantry and like maybe a day of water, you know, somewhere? Well, I could, you know, take the water out of the toilet to survive. Yeah, really? Like, you know, are you really prepared? Spiritually, the same way. How prepared are you for temptation? Are you just taking life as it comes? Or are you living fast and loose and dangerous, man? And Satan just waiting for you to be at the end of your rope. And are you ready for that? Are you praying? Are you being filled with the Holy Spirit? That's the first question. Second question, do you practice fasting? Is that a regular part of your spiritual discipline? And if not, are you willing to start? Hey, here's what I think we should be doing as a church. I think we should start doing this. In your life, you've got an area of temptation you're not getting victory over. Start fasting. See what God does. See, see how he strengthens you in the inner man as you incorporate this as a regular part of your spiritual discipline. Third question, do you have a plan to memorize Scripture? Do you have a plan to memorize Scripture? Are you, do, are you doing it? Here's an idea. Why don't we just start? Jesus wept. There, there's one for you, right? You got one. 